Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Ray Galen. Today I'm joined by my fellow co-founder, host of LPTV's The Breakdown, and author of Everything Trump Touches Dies, Rick Wilson. Rick, good to have you here. Hey, thanks, Reed. And back by popular demand, <laughs> Lincoln Project Executive Director, Fred Wellman. Fred, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. I appreciate the opportunity. So today we're going to talk about the aftermath of Georgia's newly inked Jim Crow legislation, as well as the Republican Party's accelerating path towards fascism. But before we do that, we want to talk about the new ad that the Lincoln Project dropped this morning. Rob, why don't we have a listen? An immigrant came to our shores nearly 50 years ago and brought destruction with him. Destruction wrought by stoking fear of all outsiders, except for himself. His name is Rupert Murdoch, and he's the most dangerous man to ever cross our border. He built an empire out of fear and lies, ruling over a network of deceit that made him a billionaire, brainwashed millions with un-American propaganda. But now, the very source of Rupert Murdoch's power will become his downfall, because America is watching. So, Rick, that doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. You know, I tried to make sure that it was something that would require a team of trained semioticians and linguists to parse through for weeks on end. But it was a little less subtle than that. Yeah. You know, we started talking about this, Reed. I think you and Stu and Steve and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, Rupert Murdoch has had this unfettered arc of power and expansion in this country without ever having any kind of accountability or consequences for the things he's done. And, you know, folks at the Lincoln Project, we have long been willing to stand up against what seem to be overwhelming odds and overwhelming power equations that don't look like we should be able to, to be in a fight like that. Well, you know, we took on Donald Trump, we took on the Republican Party, we took on the establishment, and we helped ensure that Donald Trump was a one-term president. But we keep looking at the ongoing threat of Trumpism and of authoritarian populism and authoritarian nationalism. And in America, there are two primary engines for that. It's Fox News and Facebook. And in both those cases, they recognize what they've done and what they do every day, which is put out a wildly alternate version of reality that has led to people believing things that simply are not even vaguely true. And so as we start rolling back into a war footing for 2022 and beyond, you're going to see the Lincoln Project do a lot more pieces like this because we are going to call Rupert and the hosts at Fox, many of whom are particularly egregious, into account. So, 
Fred, I saw Rupert Murdoch give a speech in the San Francisco Bay Area probably like 15 years ago. And it was a very liberal crowd, not surprisingly. And he took questions. I doubt he'd do that today. But the question he got was, you know, Fox News is bad. How can you do this? Now, remember, this was like 2005. And what he said was, and he said it very confidently, very calmly, was nobody has better ratings than we do. We must be selling something that people want. Now, again, that was at the time, you know, Fox was maybe the analog to MSNBC. I think we were polarizing, but we weren't as polarized. But the one thing that I think, you know, really got a lot of conservatives and Republicans at the time, and even now, was that Fox was first fair and balanced, but second, has always bathed themselves in the flag, in the red, white, and blue. And, you know, someone with your background in the military, as long as you have in service, what does that mean to folks who have served, who have families that served? I mean, we know from our own practice that conservative voters like the show of strength, the show of patriotism. But when does patriotism become nationalism for you? Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, and we saw it to a constant refrain you see right now in the conversations surrounding the disinformation and the radicalization of military members. What's been fascinating to me is watching that conversation among in the military social media is what role does having Fox News on TVs everywhere you go on military bases affecting that? It's been a fascinating discussion as people say, you know, I sit here and I'm sitting here in the waiting room for the pharmacy and there's Fox News constantly droning on. Every you know, military headquarters has Fox News droning on. I saw it when I was a public affairs officer in Iraq. And a lot of my peers would feed stuff to Fox because they were seen as more military friendly and would hype us up. But we saw early on is that when it becomes, an, like you said, as a nationalistic approach. So, for example, let's say we have a firefight and we end up killing some Iraqis. They would pump it up. So what we would find is like, oh, well, you know, the heroic Americans, you know, killed 15 insurgents. And and then we'd have the army would have to circle back, say, well, actually, it was 10 villagers. And I had explained to my colleagues, like, look, because they're military friendly or patriotic, they're not actually doing us any favors. Because in the end, we have as military public affairs officers, military leaders, we have by law to tell the American people the truth. So that propaganda, that aspect of it, which becomes America's always right, actually undermines my ability to operate in combat. As a mid-grade officer in Iraq, I had to understand that the nature of this hyper-nationalistic, this hyper-patriotic news, and I'm doing air quotes, is that it will also hurt me in my ability to, quote, I hate the term, win hearts and minds, but I do. I mean, the Iraqi people are international people. They are seeing what we say on TV, and if we say it wrong, it looks bad. So it's really a fascinating dichotomy you deal with as a service member who's trying to tell the story of our American soldiers, the American people. I don't necessarily need somebody pumping it up. So, yeah, I've been wrestling with these guys for years, and it's always been a challenge. Now I think we've gone well beyond that, though. I mean, I think what Fox News is today over the last four years is more hyper over the line than it was just even in 2005 when you heard that speech. And Rick, what we've seen, too, with Fox is that with the rise of online outlets, Ben Shapiro, Dan Bongino, Bannon always hanging around out there, and then obviously Newsmax and OANN, who are coming more into people's homes, is that Fox appears to be nosing even further I'd like to say to the right, but I think we're sort of off the grid from an ideological perspective here in order to try and maintain some of that market share of eyeballs and viewers. And I guess my question is, 
if OANN and Newsmax continue to go further into wackadoo land, will Fox follow to try and keep the eyeballs? I think from the phrase fair and balanced, it's going to become the phrase hold my beer. (laughs) These guys have a very strong market motivation to stay as crazy as they need to. This idea that Fox will be out crazied, even when you look at OAN and Newsmax, I mean, Fox will adjust. They have the ability and the scope to find more craziness. They have the ability and the scope to find more people who are willing to go on the air and say absolutely ludicrous things. I mean, look, Katie McEnany works for them now. So if you didn't have any confidence that she wouldn't say the craziest goddamn things you can imagine, I direct you to the last four years, right? Well, and as of this morning, Lara Trump, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, is now a paid contributor. A potential political candidate. Yeah, a potential political candidate. Which those things probably have a go hand in hand, I would guess. Yeah, I would think those are pretty tightly wound together. Uh, you know, and one other thing, Reed, we've already seen Fox as this very powerful normative force on the right. And a generation of people has grown up with the Roger Ailes model. And I asked Ailes the story one time. I'd heard this apocryphal story that he used to tell, and I asked him if it was true. So I just asked him the question. I said, Roger, why are you so successful? And he said, I hire women with great breasts and big hair, and they're beautiful. And the guys that are watching them are 65 years old. Next question. Probably as true today as when he told you that. Yeah, it was crude. It was crass. It was absolutely true. And Fox has this combination of hyper-feminized women talking to the classic Trump voter demo, and it's got these men who bang away over and over again. Your agreement is correct. They are coming to get you. It's those people who want to hurt you. The elites and the black people and the Hispanics, they are all going to take away your job, your freedom, your guns, your life, your religion, blah, blah, blah. They have that combination down in a way at scale that no other network has. And it's a profoundly dangerous thing. So Fox News is willing to say anything and everything it can to keep its audience. And to that end, last week, Dominion Voting Systems filed a $1.6 billion defamation suit claiming that what Fox said about a rigged election was patently false and they knew it. Here's their attorney talking about it. Part of proving that a statement is defamatory is to prove prove that it was made uh, either knowing the statements were false or with reckless disregard for the truth. Our complaint lays out in gory detail uh, that over days and days and weeks in November and December of last year, Fox kept spouting these lies about Dominion, these devastating lies about Dominion on their airwaves, even while they were being told the truth over and over again. And yes, they were told the truth by Dominion. Dominion sent multiple emails and letters and retraction demands, but there was also a chorus of bipartisan officials explaining how these lies were false, how the election, how Dominion's machines performed as as they were supposed to and accurately counted the votes. So Rick, thinking about just the resources that Rupert Murdoch and Fox News and News Corp have to bring to bear, Remember that they settled with the family of Seth Rich, who was they claim to have been part of a grand conspiracy, you know, on the part of the Russians and all these other people to, you know, infiltrate the Democratic National Committee. They settled with his family. But part of the settlement was that the settlement wouldn't be announced until after the 2020 campaign was over. Obviously, Fox News has had numerous personnel actions, for lack of a better way to put it, that has cost millions, if not tens of millions of dollars. And so when we think about the idea that Dominion is suing Fox for $1.6 billion, it very well might be that they ultimately settle, but the terms of that settlement will be somewhere down the road. But the bottom line is that Rupert's got the money to pay it off. 
And so is there any real reason why he would not keep doing this? Billionaires don't like spending money, particularly billionaires don't like spending money if they can just make Sean Hannity go on the air and issue an insincere apology. And I doubt the rich family got the satisfaction that they deserved for the horrific and grotesque torture. Pretty sure at the time it was Hannity and Laura and Tucker were, as you know, as one might expect, leading the charge on that. But Hannity in particular was bringing on the crazies, talking about, you know, there's an obvious line back to Hillary. She clearly took out Seth Rich. It was just grotesque. And so I think they settled because Rupert didn't want to do more than have an apology in a seven-figure settlement, not an eight-figure settlement. Now, if you're Dominion, you're in a slightly different business case situation. And I don't mean to sound cold about this, but you know, Seth Rich was a 24-year-old guy. And in that horrible kind of legalistic way, they could assign a net value to his future career and say, it'll be this. And Seth Rich may or may not go out and invent a billion-dollar app, but he probably won't. So they valued it to the family at a certain financial level. Now, when you are talking about a multi-billion dollar company that has taken multi-billion dollar hit on its image and on its market standing, they have a case against Fox that is also much less ambiguous than the Seth Rich case. This is a clear black and white set of lies that the Fox editor staff and air talent knew to be lies. They knew the source of these lies was attempting to do so in a malicious way to discredit this company in order to ensure Donald Trump a second term as president. And so there's a lot more awareness of what was going on at Fox, I think, in this case than there was during the rich thing. I think they're in a much greater peril than they were before. And I hope that Dominion smacks them around like a rented mule. And so, Fred, you know, that's one of those where I think Rick makes a good point and we'll call this the jailhouse lawyer segment of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Where, you know, I, I think Rick makes a good point in that Dominion very well may want to take this to trial because not only do they want the publicity of it, but there's the discovery piece of this, which means that, you know, whether or not it's Murdoch himself, his son, whoever the president of the network is, all of the anchors, anybody involved will be deposed under oath. But also understands a business read. I mean, it's different than Seth Rich. I mean, Seth Rich's issue was his family had suffered online abuse and all, but in the end, Seth had passed away. This has actually deeply affected Dominion and Smartmatic as well, which we don't mention as much. Their business is being completely undermined. This potentially could destroy their business. So they're in a fight to save what is a multi-billion dollar business. So I think you're right. I think they're not looking for the cash. They're looking for a clear statement that their software, their machines, the whole basis of their business is trust. Without trust in the votes, without trust in the machines that count the vote, then their business is toast. So this entire campaign by Trump and the big lie undermined this very simple business model of these two companies. So I think in a lot of ways you're right. I think if I was the CEO and, and looking at the reputational damage that's been occurred, it's not enough to meekly say, yeah, we were wrong. We need to prove that a malicious mission was made and built, that a set of lies was built to undermine faith in this company's products. And for them to regain that faith in their products, I don't think a, a wimpy little, ah, I was wrong from handy is going to do it. I really don't. So Rick, Last week, Sidney Powell, a.k.a. the Kraken, uh, responded to, I believe, Smartmatic or Dominion's lawsuit against her, basically saying that the things she said were so outlandish that no one could have or should have taken her seriously, which is interesting because that's also something that Fox News said about Tucker Carlson when I believe he was being sued for something 
I'm an entertainer. Yeah, that this is entertainment. This is not news. And so do you believe that's where Fox will go again is like we call ourselves Fox News, but we're really Fox Entertainment. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to play that role because you can't eat with two forks at one time. They are either an entertainment company or they are a news network. Now, they certainly want to protect themselves from other liabilities like libel. They want to protect themselves from those things by saying, we're not entertainment. We're a, we're a serious journalistic enterprise. And how dare you question a news story and try to intimidate us by trying to shut us up? So you can't eat both sides of the pie at one time. And so, you know, this idea of them just waving it away this time, I think also, again, comes into a different space because there are enormous and catastrophic financial damages that have been done to Dominion and Smartmatic. They're going to work their very hardest to get this into a courtroom somewhere because jurors are going to see this and say, okay, so producer X says in this email, oh, ha, 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 let's do this thing. Sidney Powell, isn't this funny? You know, let's do the show notes tonight for Sean that say, we're going to say that Smartmatic is controlled by Venezuelan hackers working for zombie Hugo Chavez. You know, all the crazy shit. There's going to be a trail. And as Dominion starts interviewing people, they're going to say, okay, we're going to talk to producer so-and-so and copywriter such and such. Those people do not want to be named in this suit. They don't want to be dragged down into this. And their NDAs for Fox are not relevant in any kind of legal proceeding. So it's going to be a kind of exciting ride for them. And I think if I were Dominion or Smartmatic, my demand would be you know, a half hour of live Fox television where one host after the other has to go on. And <laughs> first leading with Rupert, I fucking lied to you the whole time. It was all bullshit. We made it up. It was total crap. For those in the audience that don't know, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch is Australian by expression. Right. He's been here for many years. He is now an American right. citizen, a, a vaccinated American citizen. But yes, originally from down under. You all take the hydroxychloroquine. Leave the vaccine to me, right? <laughs> Sorry. My terrible accent collection. Yeah, it's not one of your best. Fred, I've only really got one truly spectacular accent. That's Bill Clinton. That is pretty good, actually. <laughs> so, Fred, to stay with Fox, but to shift gears a little bit and to extend on what Rick said about the producers and the copywriters. Last week, Tucker Carlson had a guest on who said this. I think you make a really solid point about the sadness and the powerlessness that people feel in the face of this. And at some point, people are going to say, why should I follow the rules? Why should I be a good citizen if they don't have to follow the rules? I mean, things kind of break down at some point, don't they? Well, they will break down. They are breaking down, Tucker. I, I've said this before, and I'm telling you, I'm, I'm worried that I'm right. The right is going to pick a fascist within 10 to 20 years because right. they're not going That's to right. be the only, one, the only ones on the outs. There's 60, 70 million of us. We're not a tiny minority. And if we're going to be all treated like criminals and all subject to every single law while Antifa Black Lives Matter guys go free and Hunter Biden goes free, then the right's going to take drastic measures. Okay, so Fred, this guy... First and foremost, you get something wrong. The Republicans already picked a fascist. Right? <laughs> There's that. He lost yeah. in November. He's now, as Stewart likes to call him, a retiree in Florida. But we <laughs> should not underestimate what he says. He says it's 10 or 20 years. I think it's already happened. And we've already seen a lot of these folks who are ascribing to this. And you hear the same thing, right? Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the whole sort of fear mongering. But, you know, there was that whole thing, you know, take Donald Trump seriously, but not literally. I take the other part of that, which is sometimes if people are telling you something, you should believe them. 
Right. And it layers into something we've been talking about for quite a while, right? It was like Trump was bad, but in the end, say what you will about his fascism, but his blatant incompetence and stupidity undermined his efforts. He was also a lazy, lazy person. But we do worry about this next generation, the Josh Hawleys, who've been grooming themselves and are, are not dumb by any measure, even, you know, like Tom Cotton or Army Ranger, you know, the, these are not stupid people as much as we'd like to uh, tease them about some of the decisions they make. But in the end, they're more clever. What will this fascist look like? Will it be a bumbling fool like Trump or will it be that more subtle one who knows the rules? And it goes to one of our topics we're going to talk about, these creeping voting rights restrictions. I mean, these are people who know how to use our constitution and use our laws to get what they want, to take their power. It's easy to forget. Hitler was voted in. He won the election. And so that creeping idea of that smart, competent fascist is something we have to be more aware of. And, and you're right. And they seem to celebrate it. They happily like the idea that someone will just toss out our freedoms for the power. So, and Rick, you talk about the normative aspects of Fox News and, and the broader sort of right-wing propaganda ecology, but they're just saying it out loud now. He sort of couches it as a warning, but not really. He says, this is what we're going to do to protect ourselves from those people. That's exactly right, Reid. And look, Tucker Carlson watching or listening to that guy, he knew exactly what he was getting. He loved it. He was in heaven. And that's because these guys believe in that Overton window theory. You know, it's one day you can't even consider fascism. The next day you can talk about it. The next day, yeah, yeah, you might elect a guy who's sort of kind of fascist adjacent. And then all of a sudden when there's a real like no shit nationalist populist authoritarian, you're like, oh, well, it's too late now. <laughs> we got to deal with it because uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, man. We got to otherwise Antifa is going to win. So this is part of what Fox is doing. It's part of what Tucker's doing. They're mainstreaming this. And again, Trump was the incompetent flavor of authoritarian. He was a boob. He was an idiot. But he was not a boob or an idiot who wasn't dangerous. He was, in fact, and is, frankly, still dangerous because he mainstreams, he turns, he turns the fascism into a joke, into a prank, into a, <laughs> we're just tweaking the libs. And that is a dangerous place, I think, for a network like Fox to have a whole lineup at night that is convincing many, many millions of Americans, well, you know, no matter what we do next, it'll all be justified. If we don't, the caravans win. If we don't, Antifa wins. You know, all these things are part of a broad structure of what and how Fox works. You know, I want to utilize something Fred said to get into our third topic of discussion today, which is a lot of times fascism doesn't take over, although we've seen that it can. It comes to power through a democratic means. And in Georgia, last week, we saw that the Georgia legislature passed SB 202, which dramatically changed the way that Georgia voting works. Brian Kemp signed it behind a locked door with an African-American legislator banging on that door who was subsequently manhandled and arrested by white state troopers. And now the march moves on to Florida and beyond. And I mean, these are the enabling acts of fascism. If you don't think that the Georgia legislature is going to come back next session, January of 2022, when there's an election on the ballot to make it even more difficult for folks to vote. We've got another thing coming. And so, Fred, you know, you've done a lot of work on the public affairs and PR front. You know, what's most upsetting, one, is that Republicans are so immune to criticism, two, that there wasn't more of a public outcry. And when I say public, I don't mean those folks like us and like other groups who are dedicated to this stuff, but a more generalized public outcry. And three, 
that corporate America, once again, when given the opportunity to do the right thing, said just enough to be able to say that they said something, did just enough to be able to say they did something, but ultimately didn't do anything, let this thing go by, and now all sorts of people are like, boycott Coke, boycott Delta, the cow's out of the barn at this point. This is why they introduced packages of these bills, right? That's why this started off as 22 separate bills. I was reading an article right before we went on here. It was a pretty you know, neutral evaluation. These, and they all seem innocuous enough. I mean, what's so different about runoffs going from nine weeks to four weeks? Literally, they changed what was always a racist runoff system in the state designed to make sure that no person could win without 50 plus 1 percent. That was already hard enough for African-American candidates to win. Now it's a snap reel. They shortened the runoff time from the general election now that they're going to send the absentee ballots. They're going to send them the ballot for the runoff just in case, too, because by federal law, they won't meet the deadline of 45 days to give people their ballots. I mean, they literally had to come up with a workaround to disenfranchise voters. And so if you saw that Delta memo that snuck, like, well, there's things we don't like, but there's things we like. And that's the insidiousness of this march. And they've created this laundry list of these restrictions that are being very surgically in place to laser target and remove. I saw this interview with that, that guy, not Raffenberger, but the other one from Georgia who was saying, look, Sterling. Yeah, thank you. This law is not bad. I mean, sure, you have to have voter ID now to get your absentee ballot. But look, 97% of Georgians have the right ID. 97% of them have driver's license. What's the big deal? Well, then you find out that that 3%, that little tiny 3% of Georgians that don't have the right ID may never be able to get the right ID for voting. That's 250,000 voters. 250,000 voters. And so they make it sound like no big deal. But you look at the number. What did Biden win by in Georgia? I think 11,000 votes. So literally, he just waves off the idea that a quarter of a million Georgians won't be eligible to vote in the next election. And it's no big deal. And I think that's what's so insidious is they smile at you and tell you to your face that what you know is a retraction of voting rights, what you know is creeping fascism. They smile and say, no, this is an improvement. And the corporate, just like corporations always do, they're going to default to the middle. They're going to try and make everybody happy because the worst thing on earth is they don't have access to that congressman's office when they desperately need that tax break or they desperately need that carriage fee dropped for their new plane or they desperately need the FDA to get off their ass and approve the 737 MAX to get back in the air. It is the constant battle of wanting their access, but no one has adjusted to the new normal in America is that we do have creeping fascism and that the old standards of, well, there's just two parties and are based the same, really just aren't true. That the Republican Party has given itself to a steady march towards fascism in the United States of America and not seeing it is foolishness to the highest degree. And Rick, you know, to that end, I mean, we've all lived through this, right? We've all done work in this space. For those who don't have to work in the public affairs, government affairs, legislative affairs, corporate affairs business, the sausage making is even uglier than you could possibly imagine. And it often comes down to paragraphs here, semicolons there. But the bottom line is that rarely is it ever the customer, the general public, that they're worried about. We've morphed into this thing where the Leviathan is out of the box. We've got this sort of corporatist system going on where it's this transfer of money and power back and forth between further and further oligarchical corporate leaders and further and further out-of-touch political leaders. We live in what has become essentially a kleptocracy. The crony capitalism that Republicans and conservatives used to complain about has now become the definitional nature of a transactional and a moral system of governance. So when Coca-Cola hears from us or hears from people in Georgia they say, oh my God, this is wrong. 
But some guy from their government affairs office walks into the CEO or walks in front of the board and says, well, you know, the Speaker of the House or the Senate president said to me or the governor's office told me that if we don't shut up, they may regulate where we get our water from. They may try to regulate sugary soft drinks. They may screw us in some devious way. And these folks are terrified of that. And they're right to be terrified of it because the party we used to be in got very good once we took power of keeping it and of getting it back. Right now, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy are on the phone. Probably this very day, they're on the phone and they're saying, hey, you're the lobbyist for, let's just say, the pork industry. And we know you promised not to give any more money to the Republicans, but I just want you to know, if you don't max out to our guys and take care of our people, I will screw you over. I will burn you down. And look, guys, there's not a big majority in the House. McCarthy is saying to people in Washington, there's a real good chance I'm going to be renamed a speaker in two years. And history is on his side in that regard. Yeah. And only three times in the last 120 years has the party out of power not gained seats. This is a dangerous razor's edge moment. And corporate America is playing that game. I mean, the easiest thing for folks like them to do is to do nothing. And they have seen so far no penalty for their action or inaction. And until and unless they do, whether or not that's from general consumers, whether or not that's from their employees, whether or not that's from bargain for employees, you know, labor unions or, you know, those people that are supposed to be their top supporters, they're unlikely to do anything. There's no sanction for them. There's no downside for them sitting quietly. Rick, let's talk quickly. The next one of these odious pieces of legislation seems to be headed for your home state of Florida. Obviously, overwhelmingly Republican legislature, and we, we, of course, we have, you know, soon to be vice presidential nominee Ron DeSantis sitting in the governor's mansion. So, what does it look like down there from your perch? Here's the significant difficulty right now for anybody who cares about voting rights in Florida. The House is enormously excited about passing the most restrictive voting laws in the country. The Senate, which is typically a little more moderate, is even more excited. This is just as ugly as Georgia. Florida just happened to not be in the news every single day. And there is no Stacey Abrams in Florida. There is no giant organized effort against this in Florida. And that is a difficulty in part. It's a sign of how powerful the GOP is in the state. It is a sign of how red the state really is. And so there's a high likelihood those very, very negative, very bad bills will pass in Florida. And so then, Fred, it will be up to lawyers and judges and juries to make decisions. I, I assume a lot of this stuff will probably end up in the either state Supreme Courts or the United States Supreme Court. And given that we're now a 6-3 conservative court, and even before when it was a 5-4 court, going back to 2013, the Supreme Court seemed very hesitant and even more likely now to expand the franchise or protect the franchise as opposed to allowing these restrictions to go forward. That's clear. And I think, you know, you've got national legislation, which is stalled in the arguments over, you know, what is right, what's wrong. But I do think what we're seeing is it's a very carefully orchestrated thing. And what Rick pointed out so brilliantly is Georgia got a lot of attention because some very smart, powerful people there like Stacey Abrams and others who have been already in the fight. The timing of Georgia was bad because we came out of a very intense Senate campaign where all these activists are up and running and then went right into the legislature. So, you know, we were ready for them. You know, we we're kind of ready for them. But you're right. What about Ohio, where there, there's no activists? 
activists like that. And and so you're right. It goes to the courts. It goes to the federal level. Is there an appetite in Congress to actually pass the Voting Rights Act or the other proposals? And we haven't even talked about, guys, we haven't talked about redistricting. So that's going to be a good time. So it is a national movement. So we, you know, I'm sure we here at the Lincoln Project, we ask ourselves, what's our role in that as a national level organization with a very big footprint? I mean, Rick said it very clearly. We do have the power to expose these dark rooms. I mean, you know, we saw it in Atlanta. A lot of these guys really don't want the world to know the things they're doing. They don't want the, say, maybe their clients, their companies or, or their corporate donors to know that they're part of rolling back the rights of African-Americans. And so I do think that it's got to be a, a massive campaign of, you know, our legal partners. We've been very fortunate to sign on to some lawsuits and help those where we can. But you're right. There's going to have to be an intense campaign of exposing the daylight that these laws are insidious. And knowing in this conversation, we talked about the cute things they do behind the scenes, like the administrative changes, like closing down DMV offices in minority areas because, you know, just can't afford the staffing. And so now it's even harder to get a driver's license for those who can get one because the bus route doesn't go there. I mean, if you don't think this is a multi-layered effort just beyond the legislature, it's ridiculous. So you're right. It's going to be lawyers. It's going to be a Congress that must have the will to do the right thing for the people. I'll give Biden credit. He seems to be angry and he seems to be wanting to coordinate those efforts. He is riding a political moment. When you've got 72% approval for your handling of a crisis like COVID, that's some political capital we don't see very often in the United States of America today, outside of a war right after 9-11, right? And so I do wonder, it'll be interesting to see if Biden's able to capitalize on the current political capital he has for running this crisis well and leverage that to address this. But you know, one of our donors said to us, like, well, what are you guys doing in this off year? There is no off year. The Republicans have made a coordinated effort to ensure that 2022 is an easy win by ensuring that less people can vote. It's no off year. Well, listen, before I get a handle on where it is you guys are online, I just want to give a shout out to the guys over at Midas Touch. I had them on the podcast last week. They're terrific guys, three brothers, my Silas brothers, and they are going through some stuff that we've been through recently. There's someone who's trying to smear their good name, and I just want to send out some good words and good thoughts to them. They have been terrific partners in crime, and you know everybody serves a time in the barrel, and you guys will come through that. I have no doubt stronger for it. So with that, uh, Rick, where can we find you online? I am at the Rick Wilson on the Twitter machine. And Fred, how about you? F.P. Wellman on Twitter, well, pretty much everywhere, but Twitter's where I hang out the most. All right, and I'm at Reed Galen on Twitter. Not as much as I used to be, but more than I should be sometimes. So with that, everybody, Rick, Fred, want to thank you for coming on, and we will see you on the next episode. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list and subscribe to our newsletter, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Sinical and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. Thank you.